Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Stephanie wants to be your new best friend. I want to be your new best. I'm wearing prairie clothing. I don't know if you can catch the full. It's like a full. <laughs> Dude, I should have worn my little prairie thing. Did I got it from Target. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it. And it is a small, which is hilarious because I won't be able to take it off. And then my breastuses <laughs> are flattened, much like the days of prairie. So I feel very in character for you. <laughs> Today's guest is a multi-talented woman. She starred on and off Broadway in Hand to God, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and The Extraordinary Ordinary. She wrote, stars in, and co-produced the new show called Living on a Prairie. She was recently featured in Forbes magazine for her work in this show and won several indie film festival awards, including Los Angeles International Film Festival and the Tribeca Film Festival, just to name a few. Please welcome Pamela Bob. Pamela Bob to stage, Pamela to stage, all the way from Mankato. I'm so excited. Okay, I'm just letting you know, if this hour is going to be all prairie reference, I am here for it. I am here for it. All of the nuances in your series. First of all, award, 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 award. And these are not little awards. Does it still shock you in a way? Or were you like, no, this feels right. I created something unique and niche and yet universal because Little House on the Prayer, oh gosh, I have so, we can go down so many roads, so many dirt roads with this conversation. Little House shaped your childhood as it did mine because that community is so beautiful and the way they help each other and the barter system and the care and the trials and I was just telling Mary Lee, I tried to introduce my six-year-old to it, which the content is a little too, you know, serious. We saw the episode where the alcoholic drinks too much and has hallucinations of bats. Right. She's waking up in the middle of the night, scared of bats, but she does want to see when Mary gets blind and what the baby looks like. So we're trying to get there, but that's not a family fluffy show. I mean, certainly there were nice lighter episodes, but like, am I allowed to curse? Of course. Uh, Like I say in the show, some serious shit went down on that prairie. 
for sure. And I cry every episode. Every episode. Every episode. I know. Aside from how how great Little House was and how much you guys obviously love it, your comic skills in that show are off the charts. You know how when someone does something so perfectly, you can't ever imagine anyone else doing it? That's what it is for me. Well, you well, perfect. Well, networks that when we start showing. <laughs> I will say to answer your first question, uh, is it surreal or do I know like, hell yeah, this is it. It is equally both. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you saw my face while Mary Lee was introdu- doing that amazing intro, but like I-, I was, I'm holding my head and my eyes are popped open and I'm shaking my head ah, because A, I can't believe it. B, it sounds seriously impressive. And C, I probably have imposter syndrome all at the same time. It's bizarre because on one hand, like, yes, I know it's great. I did something great. And on the other hand, I can't believe I did something great. Has this project been percolating in you for a while? So long story short, um, uh, I had come off of several years of doing a lot of theater in New York. And as, as you ladies both know, it can it can beat down a person real easy. Um, As wonderful as it can be, it's hard. It's really hard. And um, I was a mom the whole time and it was just difficult. And, you know, I find it very interesting that sort of Broadway reckoning is happening right now with toxic environments because I experienced a lot of that. And by the end of sort of like a six, seven year run, I was like, I need a break. I need a mental health break. I need a a physical health break. Um, I developed autoimmune issues because of it. Everything just sort of fell apart. And it was a real mourning period too, because it was always the dream, the dream. Mm. Uh, and I had achieved the dream and the, the dream <laughs> was, almost killed me. Um, mm. and, and I don't at all regret it. I, I did achieve my life dream of getting to Broadway and New York theater and all that stuff. But um, it took, it took a real toll on me and I had to step back for a minute and say, Whoa, what is this? How do I get back on track? How do I also do art that I'm really supposed to be doing and how do I get there? So I just took a, a little mental break to get physically well, emotionally well. And I, I wrote when I was younger, but I never considered myself a writer. I had never produced. I certainly, I had done, you know, commercial and dabbled in a little bit of film, but nothing that I knew what I was doing. So it was never even on the the radar of being able to do something like this. But um, the idea came to me in a, in a dream. Uh, I was, I was putting my son to sleep. He had fallen asleep and I was still in his bed and I was sort of in that half awake, half asleep space. And the idea of the Pictionary episode, which is the first episode, popped in my brain. And that episode, by the way, is a true story. <laughs> that happened to me. <laughs> so you were you were drawing a sandstorm? I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was at a party. <laughs> we were playing Pictionary. The word was sandstorm. And the only, the only idea that came into my brain was to draw the scene from Little House on the Prairie where Mary is caught in a sandstorm. Right. Because a prairie that, woman with sand circling yes. around her. Come yes. on. I mean, Stephanie would have got that clue. It even occurred to me to draw sand in the storm. <laughs> and um, in that moment, actually, and it was so humiliating. I mean, it was just, and literally when it was done, I was angry. No one figured out that it was sandstorm. It was like, come on, people. 
And it was in that moment that I realized that Little House on the Prairie had seeped deep, even deeper than I had even thought or considered into my actual DNA and how I saw filtered the world. Yeah. And so that moment popped into my brain in sort of a dreamlike state. And I, you know, not to get too woo-woo, but I'm going to go woo-woo. I felt an electrical bolt go through my body and I literally sat up in the bed and I had a knowing, just a knowing that this is what I have to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And the plan was, I was just going to take my iPhone and film with a couple friends just for fun, because I just thought this is cool. And I know it's a good idea. It makes me laugh. What if I did a bunch of shorts just about these funny prairie? Because that wasn't the only prairie embarrassment I've had in my life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I have to say the feeling was so strong. I think the, the next week I was hanging out with a couple friends and I said, you guys, I have this idea. And I told them the idea and I said, and I want to call it living on a prairie. And they doubled over with laughter. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was onto something. And the second I said it out loud into the universe, within six months, the whole thing was done. And I didn't have to work for anything. I mean, the whole thing was magical. I went to a show by myself, took myself on Mother's Day to see a show, sat down next to a very lovely couple. They started talking to me. What do you do? Oh, I'm an actor. Oh, we love Broadway. We love theater. Have you seen, you know, what are you doing now? And I said, and I don't know why Mm -hmm. I said out loud. And this is before I'd written a a word on paper yet a word. It was just an idea. I said, I'm going to write a TV show about a woman obsessed with Little House on the Prairie. And I'm going to have Alison Arngram co-star in it. And he looked at me and he said, that sounds amazing. I'd like to invest in that. Oh, oh my goodness. God. And I was like, okay. <laughs> well, you you were in good seats. You were in house seats. You were like in row D or E smack dab in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day he emailed me and I was like, what? And then the next day he emailed me again. Like I want to invest in this. That's how that happened. The production uh-huh. company, uh, I went and did a show at Faster at New York Stage and Screen, you know, I, a workshop of a show. And uh, Garth Kravitz, a, a wonderful actor, and I were in the same cast. We were talking, what else are you working on? I said, actually, I have this investor and I have this show and I'm, I've, I've written it. Uh, and I just don't know how to film it. I don't have a production company. I don't know how to do this. What about you? And he said, I have a production company that specializes in dark comedies. And oh my God. Stuff, and it was a perfect match. When your initial dream of getting to Broadway yeah. was, that was the goal for you as an artist. Did you speak this way to the universe? Were you like, I see myself standing center stage. Do you manifest things by, like you said, airy fairy or woo woo? Is this part of who you are? So I will say my, one of, one of my big regrets is that I didn't have the knowledge of manifestation of universal law of energy, law Mm -hmm. of attraction. I didn't have that language. I didn't have that knowledge. I hadn't gone into that world yet until after Broadway. And Mm. my huge regret is I wish I would have had those skills and those tools and that knowledge to have helped me navigate that. Here's the thing. If you had all those skills and tools and knowledge at that time, you would have gone in a different direction. You would not have hit the roadblocks that forced you to stop 
and create something new. And I think that's definitely what, sometimes that has to happen because we're so caught up in what we're doing that we're not actually on the correct path, even though we're enjoying it. And Mm -hmm. so something just, the universe just plops it down and goes, no, no, we're going to stop you right here in your tracks. You're going to get sick. And and then you're going to regenerate and come up with this new idea. And I I mean, I am totally into all the things that you're talking about. I I think words are very powerful. I think just by saying them out loud. And I know those magic moments, like when you hear yourself say something, you go, oh my gosh, that was the truth. What we're not taught is that those gut feelings Feelings, those little, those little whispers, those instincts, those first impressions, that is always right. And mm. we might not know why we're saying no to something or why we're saying yes to something, but have to believe that those feelings that mm. might be total opposite from everyone else are exactly, it's your, it's your, it's your guidance system and it's mm-hmm. never going to lead you in the wrong direction. And mm-hmm. I think, and I think we're all taught to talk ourselves out of it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, justify something, make excuses for something, um, or literally just ignore or repress. Failure's bad. Don't fail. Failure's bad. That's, and that's also, what we're taught. And also, you know, in our profession, Especially if you're if you're in musical theater, you know, you're sort of indoctrinated with, well, that's the path. Broadway or bust. Where did you grow up? I grew up right outside New York City in Teaneck, New Jersey. Oh and my mom's an actor, my my sister's a pianist, my dad's a writer, so I was surround this is my life. But again, that whole thing of like, I knew I was a good writer, but I'm not a writer. I'm an actor. Mm. Mm-hmm. I knew, you know, I, I, I can I tell you something really woo-woo? Two really woo-woo things. I took a three-month chakra uh, workshop. Learn about the chakras, learn about, and it was hardcore. I mean, it was deep, deep group therapy. <laughs> it wasn't like woo-woo colors. It was like, holy moly, we're diving deep into our past into our conscious, into our subconscious. You're speaking Mary Lee's language. I've been teaching the chakra system for 17 years. Oh, well then (laughs) when we're done with this, I want to hook you up with someone. We need to talk. um, But it was after that, immediately after that class, I booked my first Broadway show. It had totally changed my mindset. But the other thing is, this is crazy. When I was in Gentleman's Guide, I have a friend who's a psychic and I had a little session with him. It was during in, in between the matinee evening show. We went out to dinner and he did his session on me. And he said, so I, I see you, uh, you're a producer. This was seven years ago. This was six mm-hmm. or seven years ago. He went, I, I, you're not just going to be doing this. You're, you're going to be producing and you're going to be writing. And I, at the time I was like, what? are you talking about? I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what you're, I was sort of like, okay, (laughs) that's cute, but okay, let's move on. And literally it was five years later when this all happened. And I was like, huh, interesting. (laughs) You have small children that you're doing all of this with little kids. So Henry just turned 11 and uh, Margot just turned three. And I had Margot uh, write after uh, filming, uh, I got pregnant with Margo right after filming Prairie. She, she sort of came after we, we filmed it. She's my little magical Because mm. <laughs> I also, you know, there's a reason why there was eight years between the kids because I was in a just totally different place 
you know, it was interesting when I got pregnant with Henry, it was certainly a very happy thing, but I hadn't achieved my career goals yet. You know, I, I was a working actor, but I hadn't achieved those things that I always wanted to get to. And so when he was born, instead of like a lot of mothers, when their babies are born, they go, oh, I'm done with everything else. This is, this is it, baby. Like this, this, this taking care of this child is my life. And I sort of had a totally opposite reaction. I had this baby that I loved, but it only instilled this fire of me of like, oh my God, I have got to achieve my dreams. Otherwise I'll, I'll feel resentful. The good news is I, I did it. Yay. <laughs> but I, I ran myself ragged. And by the time Margot came along, it was sort of like, huh, I checked those boxes off. I had had a really very new perspective of the business, of my place in the business, my new goals, my new dreams. And when I had her, it was like, oh, yeah, I could bask in the mm -hmm. mommy love. And I was able to be super present and that makes me feel very guilty <laughs> about my experience with Henry, but it really was a very polar opposite mothering experience. Wow. You know, it's hard being a mom and doing all this. It's hard. You know, the, uh, the other difference too, is that I think, you know, you were asking me before the, was I manifesting the Broadway thing partially, but I think the, the big difference is I was white knuckling the Broadway thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was climbing to get to that, to get mm -hmm. to that dream. It felt like, oh, I'm, I'm working really hard. Desperately, desperately, desperately. Yes. Yeah. With, with Prairie and with this sort of new avenue of my life, it feels just much more in the flow. I remember we were filming the Bonnetheads Anonymous scene, which I am not <laughs> in. <laughs> you know, that's the group male therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I remember being there while they were filming it and the light bulb just went off and I went, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, this makes perfect sense because I was that actor. And I think this is part of the reason why part of my Broadway experience was there was an element of it that felt weirdly dissatisfying, which was because I am the actor who's in the rehearsal room watching everything, mm. even the scenes that I'm not in, because I want to look at the process. I want to see it. I want to make things right. I want to, I want it to mm. be perfect. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean perfect as in clean cut. I mean, perfect as in we are the best in the business. We have the ability to make this the best it can possibly be. Let's go. Let's do it. And it's not about uh, having power because I don't want ultimate power. I want a, I want a collaborative experience. Mm -hmm. I want people in the room that are better than me, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but with Prairie, the experience was I did have create. It was my vision. It was my creative control. However, I was in the room with amazing other talents. I had a say in the conversation. I um, had a say in the casting and I just, and the writing was mine and, and I knew if it wasn't good enough, but the experience was like, oh, all of those elements of myself that I would sort of kick myself about. You know, I remember saying to myself constantly, like, why can't I just be satisfied? Why can't mm -hmm. I just come, come to work and feel happy that I'm just even here? And 
and instead of that little nagging thing inside of me, like, yeah, but what about this? Or how about that? That could be better. Maybe if we could just do it. And, um, long story short, when I, when I was doing Prairie, it was like, oh, oh, duh, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Really bizarre to get to 40 years old (laughs) and then go, oh, this is it. It doesn't matter if it happens at 40. These are some things that people never get to feel and discover and ride on that wave. Yeah. And it's changed everything. I mean, it really has changed not saying I don't want to do theater. I absolutely, absolutely do. But I got really picky with my, with my, what I said I was going to do and what I wasn't going to do. I think if anyone comes into their power, it allows you to feel like, aha, this feels right. This is where I'm supposed to be. Anytime you're in the grandest of circumstances and your voice is not being heard and you're not being taken into account, it doesn't matter what the atmosphere looks like that's not the place for you. So I want to go back to though to Little House on the Prairie because uh, it's me and I'm wearing a prairie dress. Did that series, was it like a a, a safe space for you? Was it what you wanted your world to be when you were growing up? So this is, this is an interesting question. I've asked fans this over and over and over again, because I, I had a very happy childhood you know, I had very loving parents. I, I was not in an abusive situation. I, and, and so I thought to myself, so why did I escape into this world? Why did I want this to be my world? Because my re- real world was pretty darn good. I understand if you're in a, an abusive, ch- you know, I, I've had fans email me saying, you know, I grew up in a foster system my entire life and Little House on the Prairie was my only escape and I wanted them to meet my kids or mm-hmm. my parents were abusive or, all of these heartbreaking, I mean, it, it brings me to tears some of these stories people confide in me. And I don't know why I escaped to it other than I could relate to it because I actually felt that in, in my life too. So it was sort of a, a validation for me um, that, oh yeah, this is how we're supposed to act. We are supposed to love one another. Oh, look, that men do cry. Oh, look, you know, my dad was a crier. Men cry. And I don't know any other show that has had this effect on people. There's something beyond comforting. And and I still watch it as an adult, right? I have all nine seasons on the DVD. We circulate them every couple. It's like that and the West Wing, that and the West Wing are my constant go-tos. And it is because there's there's just a lot of trial that happens, but the manner with which they work together for the greater good is so beautiful. And it's done in these palettes of that are just like, I can only, it's like a comfy blanket. It's swathed in, you know, beautiful beiges and golden lights and daisy flowers. And the music, the music, just the music alone can set you into a completely different state. Um, it does, and his chin quiver when Charles Ingalls begins to cry. Maybe I was just beyond impressionable, but I too no. had a lovely childhood. Yeah. But there was something about that show that I was like, oh, the warmth to be in their community would just make me feel so warm and wonderful. Yeah. And I'm now 48. And I'm still dressing up like a prairie girl when it comes time to talk about this show. So what's interesting is that this is the reaction for, and this is the experience 
of every Prairie fan. So I've sort of become an unofficial Prairie uh, spokesperson for, for fans, which is I love <laughs> really it. bizarre. Um, and uh, and also the, like the craziness of like, I'm friends with all the original cast members of Little House on the Prairie now. We've worked together and it's all crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> How did you do that? How did you reach out to them and get this script to them and get them on board? Uh, okay, here's another wild, here we go. We're going to go woo-woo again. When I was in Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, I randomly got an email from someone who books New York City tour groups, you know? So this is a group from like Pennsylvania coming into New York for the day and they were going to uh, go to see a Broadway show that night. And part of the tour deal was that they get an hour with a Broadway performer and I they asked if I could sing a song and then have a Q&A. It was an hour long. It was like 200 bucks. I was like, I'm in, let's do this. I do this Q&A with a lovely tour group. The tour guide was in the back of the uh, the room. We spoke maybe two words to each other. Nice guy. Spoke two words to each other. Done. Later that evening, I get a Facebook friend request from the tour guide. Now, my personal Facebook, I do not accept, really accept friend requests unless I actually am friends with the person. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have personal stuff up there. And and so, um, but I clicked confirm. I clicked yes. And I remember I clicked it and I immediately said to myself, why did I just do that? That is bizarre that I just did that. And I immediately went to his profile page to see who this guy was. And on his Facebook page are pictures of him and Alison Arngram, who plays Nellie Olson of the Prairie. I write him like, what? <laughs> like, what the hell? And he went, oh, yeah, Alice and I have been best friends for 25 years. Um, oh, my God. And, and you uh, haven't you haven't started the project yet or had oh, you no. started no. writing? No. no, this was a good, solid two, two years before. So you're just a Prairie fan at this yes. point. Yes. Yes. OK. And I'm right. flipping out. I'm flipping out. And he's going, you know, when she does her one woman show in New York, she always stays in my apartment. And oh, the next time she's in town, we'll have to have coffee together. And I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> Fast forward a year. I'm in hand to God. I get an email from Jim saying, Hey, Allison's in town. We're coming to see your show. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so he brings Allison to see the show. And afterwards she, she meets everyone. She comes up to my dressing room where we talk for four hours after the show. So your stage door guy is like, it's time to get the hell out. We talked for, I think, two hours immediately after the show. Then we moved and went to a, you know, got food and talked for two more hours. And she told me, she answered every single burning question I'd ever had about Little House <laughs> And we, we started a, a friendship. And it was probably a year after that when I had the idea. And I contacted her and I said, hey, I, um, I want to do this thing. And, and will you be in it? And she was like, hells yeah. I was like, great. And um, it was through her. And then she was like, oh, this is really good. Because she read the script and she was like, this is, this is good. This is exciting. I'm going to contact the rest of the cast. Oh, my God. So they're all still in touch with each other. Yes. And many of them wanted to to be in it. Have cameos in it. Yes. Yes. So, but we did get um, Charlotte Stewart, who played Miss Beetle, the beloved Miss Beetle. And talk about seeping into your subconscious and your DNA. When we were filming with Charlotte, one of the extras who was in that scene saw that it was Charlotte Stewart, that it was Miss Beetle, 
And she started crying, opened up her arms and went, my teacher. Yeah, my yeah. Teacher, that would be me. And gave her a huge hug. Oh, <laughs> I, I have so many questions. Okay, without betraying any trust, just give me a couple sentences as to what was shared with you as to what the set life was like for Little House. Yes. Uh, so difficult, uh, challenging, wonderful family, all those things. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. uh, well, most of all, not difficult. Um, uh, all of them across the board said Michael Landon ran the most efficient set ever. You were done by 5 or 6 p.m. every single day, no matter what, so that you could go home and have dinner with your family. That was his whole MO. And that he had apparently had everything planned. There was nothing like, let's just see how it goes. He had everything. And, you know, he wrote and directed and starred in a good majority of all of those. And still had that head of hair. I know. That head of hair. (laughs) And the pecs. (laughs) <laughs> hot car, hashtag hot car. Stephanie's going to pass out before I'm, about, I'm having over. trouble so they, breathing. They yeah. It could be that small, the small dress from Target that's having this effect, but regardless. <sighs> no, they all said, and, and, you know, the kids were considered professionals and you had to know your stuff. And if, you know, and so, and the bar was set very high and therefore everyone met that bar. Um, but I will tell you that when I was filming with Allison, uh, episode five life coach, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to be crying pretty much the whole episode, very mm-hmm. upset. And, you know, so we're sitting there and she's sitting across the table from me and I'm prepping, I'm prepping, I'm getting myself there. I'm getting myself there. And she's, you know, she's sitting there very calmly and letting me do my stuff. And right before they called action, I mean, right before they called action, she leaned into me and said, Michael Landon would have loved you. (laughs) And then started to cry. Did you start to cry? (laughs) Jectile tears. I mean, but I got her wet from across the table, just projectile. And then the next take, and then the next take, right before they, right before they chopped, uh, said action, she leaned into me and said, Michael Landon would be so proud of you. Oh my God. Okay. We need coasters. We need t-shirts. We need swag. We need swag with this stuff on it. <laughs> I, was, I was crying so hard that I just started screaming like, fuck you, Allison, how are you doing this to me? And, and she said to me, you know, that's what Michael would do. That was when the kids were having, needed to have an emotional scene and they couldn't quite get there. He would stop everything come up to you, come down to your level and say, say things like, do you know how much I love you? Oh my God. And it would just automatically get there to that place. So I was the benefactress of the Michael Landon technique, which felt really, I mean, kind of really amazing that Allison had passed this thing down that, that was done to her and those kids and, and did it to me. And maybe that was the magic potion. When you watch Little House on the Prairie, if someone would say, do you know how much I love you? I'd be like, yes, Michael, I do. And that's why I cannot stop watching. I love you too. I mean, you could feel the love. That's right. And 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 the fact is, don't we all need to hear that? 
Yes. Yeah. We all need to hear that. Yes. If only all art came from such a place, right? Well, right. If it was, and if show is being created with just tons of ego and we're going to try to win every Tony, and I'm not saying the show won't be successful. It very well might be a huge commercial success, but that energy, that cast will be fraught. The backstage will be fraught with that it's same energy. It's between white knuckling it and... Yes being in the flow of it and being in love with the creation of it. And it affects everyone and everything, which way you're going to approach something. When you're grasping onto something there, there's no room to grow because the space is completely condensed, right? You can't grasp and have growth. It has to have flow. It has to have freedom. It has, and that takes courage. And and also that, that the, the holding on is limiting. It, it closes options. It it actually does the, the opposite effect of what you ultimately think are thinking that you want. I know I've said this before many times when I'm teaching or even a mantra from my own head, and I may have said it on the podcast, but inspiration, not desperation. If right. it comes from desperation, it is not going to be what you want it to be. You know, Pamela, you also say, yes, it, it goes back to you being in eight shows a week with Gentleman's Guide and being asked, will you speak to this group? And most people would go, oh, I'm exhausted. My plate is full with all the stuff. And because you said yes, that sparks something else, which sparks something else. It's never plant the one seed. It grows. And there's your opportunity. There's your dream. It's like you have to stir six pots. You have to plant a thousand seeds to watch three come up. I believe in the woo-woo. I am a big believer in the woo-woo, but I'm still trying to figure out if we create the woo-woo and once we see it, then our understanding of the world and what we take notice of and what we say, what path we go down and who we then go into business with, if that shapes our woo-woo or if really the universe is saying, look up, look over here. Oh, Mm -hmm. look at that license plate. I believe that we pay attention a little more like that lightning bolt that hits you changed your point of view. All of a sudden now you're seeing things in a different way that were always there, but weren't necessarily getting your attention. So I believe in creating the woo-woo, that initial spark I think is divine in some way comes from a higher power. And then we interpret it in the way that we need to continue down that path. That's it. 1000%. And I do think uh, I love how you put that because I do think it is a co-creation, right? I mean, I wh- which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, they both, it, they both need each other, right? And I, I think what's been amazing for me is exactly what you're saying, which is once I became aware, once I understood, oh, my intuition is here for that reason. Oh, that little feeling I had was for that. Oh, I get it. And once I learned to trust that, Listen to that. nothing yes. is ever that it is never wrong, those feelings, um, and that will guide you, then you do notice all those little things and you do realize all of a sudden, holy moly, the universe is talking to us all day long, every day. And it's our job to understand what that is. Right. Um, and, And we're not taught that. 95, 98% of the time, whatever, like you were speaking to, that voice in our belly is going to be pretty accurate. And once you trust that in yourself, as long as it's not to a detriment or a harm to someone else, it is your guiding force. And we all just need to believe that and that voice in our bellies, especially women. I hate to I hate to put a gender on it, yeah. but especially women, we have I was just this gonna power. Say that. 
But it's not only that, you're taught the opposite. You're taught be nice, kiss that uncle that gives you the creeps on the cheek because that's polite. You be nice. If you're in an elevator and somebody comes in and you don't like them, be nice. Right. You know, mm-hmm. no, I get off that elevator. When mm-hmm. I was young, I didn't. I'd stay right. in the elevator. But now I'm like, no, no, I lit my body's telling me something yeah, and I am listening body, to her. And your body never lies. I mean, your never. body listen, I got physically, I manifested physically all the things that I was holding inside of my body. I mean, our human bodies are incredible. They will scream at you when they know something is wrong, when they know something is off. And it is incredible how we dismiss it. Papa, you know, cold medicine and go on with your day. Mm -hmm. It's It's talking to you. It's telling you something. Here they come. Our five questions. If you could have any talent or ability, what would it be? Well, the first thing that popped in my brain is really lame, but I'll <laughs> say it. Math. It'd be nice. That's not lame. Nobody's ever said math. <laughs> math. Oh, because, you know, I wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of you know, I, I do a lot of things and sometimes I'll get, I'll get like, what are you not good at? Which is funny. Cause I'm not good at plenty of stuff, but my number one answer is always math. I would have thought you'd say time travel and you time travel, travel yourself back to the set. <laughs> well, maybe if I, understood math, I could do some time travel. There we <laughs> well, go. If you were to go back to your teenage or 20 year old self, what would you say to her? Uh, uh, ignore these assholes. <laughs> Fair. Uh You're so much better. Yeah, that. Okay. Tell us something surprising about yourself that most people don't know. (laughs) Uh, That I was in the children's chorus of the Metropolitan Opera and the City Opera when I was a kid. So I I, I did seven or eight operas over two or three years when I was young. Yeah, that was cool. That was fun. All right. Uh, next question. Do you have a good luck charm or a ritual that you do before any project or writing or? Well, the, the one thing that I know I always do before I enter the stage is um, I always put my hand on my heart, which automatically centers me and I feel everything drop into place and I feel uh, vulnerability come out. And that's when I know I'm ready to, to go. All right. Last question. And it's a biggie. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be? And what would the cheeky little name be? Okay. So this is cheating because when I was in Silence of the Musical, every single night there was a part where she says a nail polish name. That's a cheeky name. And every performance, it was a different, we, we would literally research and think of, we, people would come to the theater with a list of new names, either made up or real ones. So every night we had a different nail polish name. And my favorite one is my fuchsia husband. <laughs> <laughs> so that one. <laughs> That's fantastic. See what research will do? That's fantastic. <laughs> I think that's a real name. My fuchsia husband. Yeah, that's a good one. Fuchsia husband. That is a good one. Thank you. You're magic. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It is such an honor to talk with you. I was so thrilled that you, you reached out. My first equity show ever was with Mary Lee. 
Mary Lee. Mary Lee. And I, still, and I still tell your Calzone story. Calzones. <laughs> legendary. They are legendary. My grandmother would be so happy to know that she's famous backstage. <laughs> she would love it. Thank you. Bye. Bye, ladies. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after a word from our sponsor. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our theme song says, love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages, and love where you are now. Okay, Stephanie, so I know it was really hard for you to keep a lid on your prairie enthusiasm. Well, and I, I know, did I? But boy, did she speak my language on so many different levels. You know, the rigors of eight shows a week, um, the beauty of finding sort of that woo-woo life. I was really lucky because I had a beautiful voice teacher who was full-on life coach and mentor. And at 11 years old, I, I was instilled with the woo-woo. And I've always believed in the woo-woo on different levels, you know, however 11 or 12 year old mind can embrace that. But as a grown woman, I still use it. I believe in that co-creating your life with the universe and the divine. And once you're in touch with that, then like we say, all these signs start popping up, Mm -hmm. which sit with you and lead you down a road that feels like you're on point, you're on purpose. And you used a phrase, which was incredible to me. I'd never heard it. And it's exactly right. It's that internal whisper. We always hear intuition. We always hear instincts, but that internal whisper that you just can't quiet, boy, is that a real thing? I think that's right. And I think as we said in the podcast, how we are taught to ignore that. And it's even in our relationships. Sometimes we're in relationships and we sort of had that nagging little whisper that it's not the right friendship for you and you keep Mm -hmm. trying to make it work or it's not the right love interest for you, yet you keep trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. And usually in the end, that little whisper, no matter how much you try to ignore it, turns out to be correct. You know, I, over COVID, I let go of a relationship that was very important to me at a certain time in my life, but I've let it go and not, not with anger, not with anything. I've just decided to release it. And it was painful. And I kept going to bed and I, and for about three weeks I would go to bed and I would say, you know, out loud, show me what I missed. What did I miss so that I don't do that again? What did I, what did I not listen to? And I'm not kidding. When I tell you, I woke up with the words whispering in my ear, like I could hear the words being said to me. And the whisper said, just because someone takes everything that you give, it doesn't mean that it holds the same value for them. They took it because it was free and everybody takes stuff that's free. So here I, yeah. Right. Isn't that a huge insight? So here I am. It makes me actually, it makes me want to cry. I really wanted to understand because I was not going to repeat that again. I promised myself 
because it hurt my soul. And I said, my soul deserves not to feel that again. And I really wanted the answer. And I literally went to bed every night for weeks saying, please, please tell me. So I understand. And those were the words. And it was like, of course, anybody's going to take anything that's free because it's free. Just because I've attached so much meaning to the gift, to the gesture, doesn't mean that they've received it with that yeah. same meaning. Yeah. And that was a massive insight for me. And also it goes back to that white knuckling that she yes. spoke of, right? I am going to manipulate this, whether it's a, a profession opportunity or a friendship, and I'm going to hold on so tight mm-hmm. that there is no growth. There is no breath. There is no. So once you release, then you can understand what it is. And if it's meant to be yours or not. Yeah. It's very interesting, the lessons that we take. And I just, I really enjoyed talking to her. She was so much candor. She was very honest and funny. Can't wait to see where this show ends up because I know it's going to end up somewhere. I mean, yes. From the title, like you said, to her comedic humor, to the content, like living on a prairie. I've watched, I really have watched over and over those six episodes and I am so hungry for more. So I hope like the first time a dream hits her and it inspires her even more. I'm sure, you know what, knowing her after speaking with her, I bet you she has a full seven seasons already laid out, right? Yeah. Uh, She's the kind of person you want to collaborate with. You know, yeah. she's the kind of person to go, I hope I'm in one of those dreams because I would jump on that wagon, on that prairie oh. wagon. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I want to be a present day Caroline Ingalls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, girl. I love you. Love you right back a million times. Bye. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.